Chapter 5 of Culture and Cooking, or Art in the Kitchen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Tink. Culture and Cooking, or Art in the Kitchen, by Catherine Owen. Chapter 5. Luncheon. Luncheon is usually, in this country, either a forlorn meal of cold meat or hash, or else a sort of early dinner, both of which are a mistake. If it is veritably luncheon, and not early dinner, it should be as unlike that later meal as possible. For variety's sake, and in any but very small families, there are so many dishes more suitable for luncheon than any other meal, that it is easy to have great variety with very little trouble. I wish it were more the fashion here to have many of the cold dishes which are popular on the other side of the Atlantic, and in spite of the fact that table prejudices are very difficult to get over, I will append a few recipes in the hope that some lady more progressive than prejudiced may give them a trial, convinced that their excellence, appearance, and convenience will win them favour. By having most dishes cold at luncheon, it makes it a distinct meal from the hot breakfast and dinner. In summer, the cold food and the salad is especially refreshing. In winter, a nice hot soup or puree. Thick soup is preferable at luncheon to clear, which is well fitted to precede a heavy meal. And some savoury entree are very desirable, while cold raised pie, galantine, jellied fish, and potted meats may ever, at that season, find their appropriate place on the luncheon table. The potatoes, which are the only vegetable introduced at strict lunch, should be prepared in some fancy manner, as croquettes, mashed and browned, a la maitre d'hôtel, or in snow. The latter mode is pretty and novel. I will therefore include it in my recipes for luncheon dishes. Omelettes too are excellent at luncheon. In these remarks, I am thinking especially of large families whose luncheon table might be provided with a dish of galantine, one of coloured fish, and a meat pie, besides a steak, cutlets, or warmed over meat without anything going to waste. In winter, most cold jellied articles will keep a fortnight and in summer three or four days. Windsor pie, take slices of veal cutlet half an inch thick and very thin slices of lean boiled ham. Put at the bottom of one of these veal pie dishes or bakers about two to three inches deep a layer of the veal, seasoned, then one of ham, then one of force meat, made as follows. Take a little veal or if you have sausage meat ready made, it will do as much fine dry bread crumbs, a dessert spoonful of finely chopped parsley, in which is a salt spoonful of powdered thyme, savoury and marjoram if you have them, with salt and pepper and mix with enough butter to make it a crumbling paste. Lay a thin layer of this on the ham, then another of veal, then ham and force meat again, until the dish is quite full. Lay something flat upon it and then await for an hour. You must have prepared from bones and scraps of veal about a pint of stiff veal jelly, Pour this over the meat and then take strips of rich puff paste, the brioche paste would be excellent in hot weather. Wet the edge of the dish and lay the strips round, pressing them lightly to the dish. Roll the cover a little larger than the top of the dish and lay it on, first wetting the surface, not the edge, of the strips round the lips of the dish. Press the two together, then make a hole in the centre and ornament as you please. But I never ornament the edge of a pie as it is apt to prevent the paste from rising. An appropriate and simple ornament for meat pies is to roll a piece of paste very thin, cut it in four diamond-shaped pieces, 
put one point of each to the hole in the center so that you have one on each end and one each side. Then roll another little piece of paste as thin as possible. Flower it and double it, then double it again. Bring all the corners together in your hand like a little bundle. Then with a sharp knife, give a quick cut over the top of the ball of paste, cutting quite deeply, then another across. If your cut has been clean and quick, you will now be able to turn half back the leaves of paste as if it were a half-blown rose. The ends which you have gathered together in your hand are to be inserted in the hole in the centre of the pie. Then brush over with yolk of egg beaten very well in a little milk or water, and bake an hour and a half. This way of covering and ornamenting a pie is appropriate for all meat pies. Pigeon pie should, however, have the little red feet skinned by dipping in boiling water, then rubbed in a cloth when skin and nails peel off. If allowed to lie in the water, the flesh comes too. Then one pair is put at each end of the pie, a hole being cut to insert them, or four are put in the centre instead of the rows. The Windsor pie is intended to be eaten cold, as are all veal and ham pies. The beauty of the jelly being lost in a hot pie, do not fail to try it on that account, for cold pies are excellent things. Another veal and ham pie, more usual and probably the wheel and hammer that melted the organ of Silas Wegg, was manufactured by Mrs. Boffin from this recipe. It is as follows. Take the thick part of a breast of veal, removing all the bones, which put on for gravy, stirring them long and slowly. Put a layer of veal, pepper and salt, then a thin sprinkling of ham. If boiled, cut in slices. If raw, cut a slice in dice, which scold before using, then more veal and again ham. If force meat balls are liked, make some force meat as for Windsor pie, using if you prefer it chopped hard-boiled eggs in place of chopped meat, and binding into a paste with a raw egg. Then make into balls which drop into the crevices of the pie. Boil two or three eggs quite hard, cut each in four and lay them round the sides and over the top. Pour in about a gill of gravy and cover the same as the Windsor pie. In either of these pies, the force meat may be left out. A sweet bread cut up or mushrooms put in. A chicken pie to eat cold is very fine made in this way. Raised pork pies are so familiar to everyone who has visited England and in spite of the greasy idea are so very good that I introduce a well-tried recipe. Feeling sure anyone who eats pork at all will find it worthwhile to give them a trial. They will follow it with many another. The paste for them is made as follows. Rub into two pounds of flour a liberal half pound of butter. Then melt in half a pint of hot, but not boiling milk, another half pound. Or it may be lard. Pour this into the flour and knead it into a smooth firm paste. Properly raised pies should be moulded by hand and I will endeavour to describe the method in case any persevering lady would like to try and have the orthodox thing. But pie moulds of tin, opening at the side, are to be bought and save much trouble. The mould if used should be well buttered and the pie taken out when done and returned to the oven for the sides to brown. To raise a pie proceed thus. While the paste is warm, form a ball of paste into a cone then with the fist work inside it till it forms an oval cup. Continue to knead till you have the walls of an even thickness, then pinch a fold all round the bottom. If properly done, you have an oval, flat-bottomed crust with sides about two inches high. Fill this with pork, fat and lean together, well peppered and salted. Then work an oval cover as near the size of the bottom cover as you can, and wet the edges of the wall. Lay the cover on and pinch to match the bottom. 
Ornament as directed for Windsor pie. Wash with egg and bake a pale brown in a moderate oven. They must be well cooked or the meat will not be good. One containing a pound of meat may be cooked an hour and a quarter. All these pies are served in slices cut through to the bottom. Galantines are very handsome dishes, not very difficult to make and generally popular. I give a recipe for a very simple and delicious one. Take a fine breast of veal, remove all gristle, tendons, bones, and trim to 15 inches in length and eight wide. Use the trimmings and bones to help make the jelly, then put on the meat a layer of force meat made thus. Take one pound of sausage meat or lean veal, to which add half a pound of breadcrumbs, parsley and thyme to taste. Grate a little nutmeg, pepper, salt, and the juice of half a lemon. Have also some long strips an inch thick of fat bacon or pork, and lean of veal and lean ham, well seasoned with pepper, salt, and finely chopped shallots. Lay on the meat a layer of force meat an inch thick, leaving an inch and a half on each side uncovered. Then lay on your strips of ham, veal, and bacon fat alternatively. Then another of force meat, but only half an inch thick, as too much force meat will spoil the appearance of the dish. If you have any cold tongue, lay some strips in. Also, a few blanched pistachio nuts to be obtained off a confectioner will give the appearance of true French galantine. Roll up the veal and sew it with a packing or coarse needle and fine twine. Tie it firmly up in a piece of linen. Observe that you do not put your pistachio nuts amid the forcemeat, where being green, their appearance would be lost. Put them in crevices of the meats. Cook this in sufficient water to cover, in which you must have the trimmings of the breast and a knuckle of veal, or hock of pork, two onions, a carrot, half a head of celery, two cloves, a blade of mace, and a good bunch of parsley, thyme and bay leaf, two ounces of salt. Set the pot on the fire till it is at boiling point, then draw it to the back and let it simmer three hours, skimming carefully. Then take it from the fire, leaving it in the stock till nearly cold. Then take it out, remove the string from the napkin, and roll the galantine up tighter. If too tight at first, it will be hard. Tying the napkin at each end only, then place it on a dish, set another dish on it, on which place a 14 pound weight. This will cause it to cut firm. When quite cold, Remove strings and cloth, and it is ready to be ornamented with jelly. When the stock in which the galantine was cooked is cold, take off the fat and clarify it. First trying, however, if it is in right condition, by putting a little on ice. If it is not stiff enough to cut firm, you must reduce it by boiling. If too stiff, that is approaching glaze. Add a little water, then clarify by adding whites of eggs, as directed to clarify soup. See soups. A glass of sherry and two spoonfuls of tarragon or common vinegar are a great improvement. Some people like this jelly cut in dice to ornament the galantine. Part of it may then also serve to ornament other dishes at the table. But I prefer to have the galantine enveloped in jelly, which may be done by putting it in an oblong soup tureen or other vessel that will contain it, leaving an inch space all round, then pouring the jelly over it. Jellied fish is a favourite dish with many, and is very simple to prepare. It is also very ornamental. Take flounders or almost any flat fish that is cheapest at the time you require them. Clean and scrape them. Cut them in small pieces, but do not cut off the fins. Put them in a stew pan with a few small button onions or one large one, a half teaspoonful of sugar, a glass of sherry, a dessert spoonful of lemon juice, and a small bunch of parsley. To one large flounder put a quart of water, 
and if you're going to jelly oysters, put in their liquor and a little salt. Stew long and slowly, skimming well, then strain, and if not perfectly clear, clarify as elsewhere directed. See if you're stock jellies by trying it on ice before you clarify. Now take a mould, put in it pieces of cold salmon, eels that have been cooked, or oysters, the latter only just cooked enough in the stock to plump them. Pour a little of the jelly in the mould, then three or four half slices of lemon, then oysters or the cold fish, until the mould is near full, disposing the lemon so that it will be near the sides and decorate the jelly. Then pour the rest of the jelly over all and stand in boiling water for a few minutes, then put in a cold place. On ice is best for some hours. When about to serve, dip the mould in hot water, turn out on a dish, garnish with lettuce leaves or parsley and hard-boiled eggs. The latter may be introduced into the jelly cut in quarters if it is desired. Very ornamental forcemeat balls made bright green with spinach juice are also an improvement in appearance. A new mayonnaise, soyas. Put a quarter of a pint of stiff veal jelly that has been nicely flavoured with vegetables on ice in a bowl, whisking it till it is a white froth. Then add half a pint of salad oil and six spoonfuls of tarragon vinegar by degrees. First oil, then vinegar, continually whisking till it forms a white smooth sauce-like cream. Season with half a teaspoonful of salt, a quarter ditto of white pepper and a very little sugar. Whisk it a little more and it is ready. It should be dressed pyramidically over the article it is served with. The advantage of this sauce is that although more delicate than any other, you may dress it to any height you like and it will remain so any length of time. If the temperature is cool, it will remain hours without appearing greasy or melting. It is absolutely necessary, however, that it should be prepared on ice. All these dishes, however, are only adapted for large families, but there are several ways of improving on the ordinary lunch table of very small ones. And nothing is more pleasant for the mistress of one of these very small families than to have a friend drop in to lunch and have a recherche lunch to offer with little trouble. Warming over will aid her in this, and to that chapter one refer her, but there are one or two ways of having cold relishes always ready, which help out an impromptu meal wonderfully. Potted meats are a great resource to English housekeepers. This side of the Atlantic they are chiefly known through the medium of Cross and Blackwell, though latterly one or two American firms have introduced some very admirable articles of the sort. Homemade potted meats are, however, better and less expensive than those bought. They should be packed away in jars. Liebig's extract of meat jars not being too small for the purpose, as well covered with the fat they keep well. Once opened, they require eating within a week or ten days, except in very cold weather. Potted bloater is one of the least expensive and appetizing of all potted meats. To make it, take two or three or more bloaters, cut off the heads and cleanse them. Put them in the oven long enough to cook them through, take them out, Take off the skin and remove the meat from the bones carefully. Put the meat of the fish in a jar with half its weight of butter. Leave it to slowly cook in a cool oven for an hour, then take it out. Put the fish into a mortar or strong dish. Pour the butter on it carefully, but don't let the gravy pass too, unless the fish is to be eaten very quickly, as it would prevent it keeping. Beat both butter and fish till they form a paste, add a little cayenne, and press it into small pots pouring on each melted butter or mutton sweat. Either should be the third of an inch thick on the bloater. This makes excellent sandwiches. Potted ham, 
Take any remains of ham you have, even fried, if of a nice quality, is good for the purpose. Take away all stringy parts, sinew, or gristle, put it in a slow oven with its weight of butter. Let it stay macerating in the butter till very tender. Then beat it in a mortar, add cayenne, and pack in pots in the same way as the bloater. Thus you may put odds and ends of any meat or fish you have. And as a little potted meat goes a long way, when you have a little lobster, a bit of chicken breast, or even cold veal, I advise you to use it in this way. You will then have a little stock of dainties in the house to fall back on at any time for unexpected calls. A very important thing in the country. Potted chicken or veal requires either a little tongue or lean ham to give flavour, but failing these, a little ravigot butter, beaten in after the meat is well pounded, is by no means a bad substitute. Many people like the flavour of anchovies, but do not like the idea of eating raw fish. For these, anchovy butter is very acceptable. Take the anchovies out of the liquor in which they are packed, but do not wash them. Put them in twice their weight of butter in a jar, which stand in boiling water. Set all back of the stove for an hour, then pound, add cayenne, and pack in glasses. Unexpected company to luncheon, with a lady who has to eat that meal alone generally, and as is the unwise way of such ladies, makes it a very slender meal, is one of the ordeals of a young housekeeper, company to lunch and nothing in the house. But there is generally a dainty luncheon in every house if you know how to prepare it. There certainly always will be if you keep your storeroom supplied with the things I have named. Let the table be prettily laid at all times. Then if you have potted meat and preserves, have them put on the table. Are they called potatoes? If so, cut them up into potato salad, if they are whole. If broken, warm them in a wine glass of milk, a teaspoonful of flour, and a piece as large as an egg of maitre d'hôtel butter. Have you such scraps of cold meat as could not come to table? Toss them up with a half cup of water, a slice of glaze, O oh blessed ever-ready glaze, a teaspoonful of ravigotte, or maitre d'hôtel, and a teaspoonful of roux or blanc according as your meat is light or dark, season and serve. Or you have no meat, then you have eggs, and what better than an omelette, and such an omelette as the following. Take the crumb of a slice of bread, soak it in hot milk. Cold will do, but hot is better. Beat up whites of four eggs to a high froth. Mix the bread with all the milk it will absorb, no more, into a paste, add the yolks of eggs with a little salt, set the pan on the fire with an ounce of butter. Let it get very hot. Then mix the whites of eggs with the yolks and bread lightly. Pour in the pan and move about for a minute. If the oven is hot when the omelette is brown underneath, set the pan in the oven for five minutes or until the top is set. Then double half over and serve. If your guests have a liking for sweets and your potted meats supply the savoury part of your luncheon, then have a brown gravy ready to serve with it. Put into a half cup of boiling water a slice of glaze, a spoonful of roux, and enough Harvey sauce or mushroom powder to flavour. If your omelette is to be sweet, before you fold it, put in a layer of preserves. The advantage of the omelette I have here given is that it keeps plump and tender till cold, so that five minutes of waiting does not turn it into leather, the great objection with omelettes generally. Potatoes for luncheon, as I have said, should always be prepared in some fancy way and snow is a very pretty one. Have some fine mealy potatoes boiled, carefully poured off, and set back of the stove with a cloth over them till they are quite dry and fall apart. Then have a colander or coarse wire sieve 
made hot and a hot dish in which to serve them. Pass the floury potatoes through the sieve, taking care not to crush the snow as it falls. You require a large dish heaping full, and be careful it is kept hot. This mode of preparing potatoes, although very pretty and novel, must never be attempted with any but the widest and mealiest kind. The remains of cold potatoes may be prepared thus. Put three ounces of butter in a frying pan, in which fry three onions sliced till tender, but not very brown. Then put on the potatoes cut in slices, and shake them till they are of a nice brown colour. Put a spoonful of chopped parsley, salt, pepper and juice of a lemon. Shake well that all may mix together. Dish and serve very hot. End of chapter 5